Good morning, Rabbi Isai. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I want to start, Be'ez Hashem, a very interesting halacha, a very interesting sugya. It's a sugya I don't think we've ever discussed it before. I'm not sure, Daniel, we'll have to check whether or not we've ever discussed this before. I don't think so. I want to go through the sugya, which I believe that most people have probably never gone through this sugya in their lives, most people, and that is the sugya of wearing a yarmulke. The sugya api chazal and api halacha. Was that it before? Yes. No, I think. All the way back. Okay. Chazoras. Okay. Huh? With Okay, so, we were busy with the yacht sites yesterday, so... Uh, I'll put it like this. Where is the makar to wear a yarmulke? When am I allowed to take one off? When I, do I have to wear one? And what are the sizes and the color that a yarmulke can actually be? So we'll start like this. Number one, we've got some Gavaldika Mices. We've got some Gavaldika Mices. Number one, um, where does the word yarmulke even come from? Where does it come from? Where, where, where does this word come from, yarmulke? Where, where does it come from? So it actually comes from Yure Malka. That's where it comes from. Yure Malka, which we'll see from the Gemara means, it means the fear of the king, capital K. And therefore it's taken actually from a Polish word, Jamulka, which means a cap. So actually the word Yamulka comes from Jure Malka, which means the fear of the king. As you will see, Be'ez Hashem, that is one of the biggest soldiers of wearing a Yamulka, why we do so. Keeper obviously means a dome. The Gemara, which we'll go through, discusses how a person can gain Yerushamayim by wearing a Yamulka. Now people often take off their Yamulka. You ever see a young kid, for example, that starts to run? The first thing they do when they start to run is exactly that. They take it off, they either put it between their teeth, or they hold it, and then they run. I think maybe they think it's a skula, that because it's so heavy, so if they run without the yarmulke, they will go quicker. But obviously it doesn't work that way. And we'll see from the Gemara whether or not... What? We'll see whether or not that's true. And um, we'll talk a little about that. The Rambam says, the Rambam says that since the Shekhinah is above us, Therefore, we cannot uncover our head. The Shulchan Atari, the Minak Kamarna brings, he brings from the Sefer Hasidim, that wearing the yarmulke actually humbles a person. It makes a person feel truly humble. And, Zukta Heiliger Kamarna, in Shulchan Atari, it protects a person from doing an Aveira. An amazing, amazing thing. And the Medrash brings down that if a person is lazy with covering his head, Zukta Medrash, it brings sickness to himself. So a person has to be very, very careful to make sure what is going on in the sugya of wearing a yamaka. Let's discuss it a little bit and then I'll tell you a moment to come myself for today. There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, Chofala from Abayz, Pashtas, one of the first Makaris we have about wearing a yarmulke. Again, it doesn't say anywhere in the Torah to wear a yarmulke and it barely talks about it in Shas. And there's no real simon in Shulchan Aruch that says, wear a yarmulke. But yet, Baruch Hashem, everybody here is wearing a yarmulke. And we all do that. Why? And it's so interesting. We do things that we don't even understand. It's a little bit sad, no? Mark Ben, you ask him. It's a little bit sad that we do things, but we don't understand why. It's so much more geschmack to understand why we do the things we do. Which is why we have to learn chinuch. Because when you learn Chinuch, you understand what the mitzvahs are. What does Hashem want from you? Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that at a different time, Ezra. When the art school set comes in, then Beza Hashem will talk about that slash donate. Forward slash donate, by the way. Okay, so the Gemara Sanhedrin, Chav Aleph on the base, says as follows. The Gemara says, Vayorim Yad B'melech. 
This is referring to Yeruvam ben Nevot. Yeruvam ben Nevot did terrible things. Klal Yisrael. And the, and the Gemara says, Vayorim Yad Bemelech. What does that mean? And many pshat him in the Gemara. One pshat means he removed his tefillin in front of the king. Ooh, that's such a terrible thing. He removed his tefillin in front of the king. That was what he did. That was the beginning of his bad you know, downfall that led to who knows what. That, what's the big deal? He took off his tefillin in front of the king. Zograshi, Zograshi, it's not nice to stand in front of the king bareheaded. To stand in front of the king without something on top of your head? It's posh not Derech Eretz. Say the Mepharshim, this was the beginning of the downfall of Yeruvim ben Nevot. Okay? The Rambam brings in Hilchas Talmud Torah that it's also for a person to remove his tefillin in front of his Rebbe because he's uncovering his head. And it's not Derech Eretz. And the Gemara tells us that was the beginning of the downfall of Yeruvim ben Nevot. The Malbim has a beautiful sefer and he says that this Gemara in Sanhedrin is the Makar for wearing a yarmulke. Again, Rabbi Sa, I challenge you. This is the yarmulke challenge. Go ask your friends who are wearing yarmulkes, and they better be wearing yarmulkes, and ask them, why do they wear a yarmulke? I think Leap is anyone that got that one, by the way. Ask them why they got, why they're wearing a yarmulke. How many of them are going to say, oh, what do you mean? There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin, there's a, there's a, there's a Malbu, there's a... You have to know what you're doing. Why you do it? So the Malbim, this is the Makar for wearing a yarmulke to go barefoot, bareheaded in front of the Rabbani Shalom. It's Pasha the Bezayim. It's a Bezayim. The Rabbani Shalom is it. Now the Rabbani Shalom is everywhere, right? So the first Uncle Moshe song. That the Rabbani Shalom is everywhere. And therefore a person has to know wherever he is, whatever is going on, right? The Be'eloch in the beginning of Simon Aleph and Erechaim. The Rabbani Shalom is always with us. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing. And therefore, to go bareheaded in front of the Rabbani Shalom is Pasha to be saying. The Gemara, Shabbos Kuf Membov, tells us that if a person covers his head, he gets Yira Shemayim. Amazing thing. The Bach, by the way, is a famous Bach that talks about wearing a talit over your head. And he talks about if a person wears a talus over his head from the beginning of davening to the end of davening, it's a school of Yira Shemayim. So you the Heilige Bach. The Heilige Bach. It's a very gewaltige Sach. Now, there's no Shaila. That wearing a yarmulke is definitely the sign of a from yid. From yid wears a yarmulke. A person that's not religious, unfortunately, doesn't wear doesn't wear yarmulke. It's like almost like a symbol that you are a yid. Look at the Gemara in Kedushin Daf Lamed Aleph. The Gemara in Kedushin Daf Lamed Aleph tells us it's also to walk with your head up, like with your nose in the air, like you know, tilted upwards, right? Rav Huna Beradu of Yeshua never walked un- with an uncovered head. Why? Because the Shechina was above him. Right, it's interesting. Mashma, he did it. Nobody else did. But I'll call him. It's a midas chasidus. The Gemara in Shabbos. I'm giving you some armakomis to tell your friends. Kuf yud ches omud aleph in Shabbos tells us. Rabbi Yehuda Bered Rabbi Yeshua says, I get a praise because I never walked dalad amas without a yamaka. Right again, mashma that only he did it. Maybe nobody else did. I, mean, I get praise for doing that because nobody else did that. So it's mashma that not all the tanoim did that, and you find that all over Shas, which we're not going to go into now. The different marmakomis, but that's where it comes from. But you see already from Shas, there's an Indian of uncovering your head that is not. It's not covered. It's not covered. It's a midas chasidus. It's a chashavazach. I get praise for not walking down the with that yamaka. But nowhere does it say that you have to wear a yamaka, and that's what all yidden did. So what happened? Comes along the Taz in Arachaim Simen Ches and he brings down as follows. Zug the Taz, a famous Taz 
that says that it used to be Midas Chasidus. Means it used to be a nice thing. It used to be the hush of a people to do. It's not something that everybody did. However, since, says the Taz, a very big insight, it became a Goya Shazach that when the Goyim went into their church, they used to uncover their head as a matter of respect. Suk the Taz, that since the Goyim used to do this, to uncover the head as a, as a part of a respect, so therefore for a Jew to uncover his head, Zuk the Taz is a love min Don't go with the situation of the Goyim. Zuk the Taz, it's a love min HaToyah to remove your yamaka. Because that's what the Goyim do as a sign of respect when they go into their prayer houses. Therefore, says the Taz, it's a love min HaToyah. That's the Shittas HaTaz. The Marashal, says it's a Midas Chasidus. He says, I don't know if it's even awesome to make a bracha without a yamaka. It's Midas Chasidus, it's wonderful, but you don't have to. What's the nafkamina between the Taz and the Marashal? What would be the nafkamina between them? So one nafkamina number one, Pashtus would be to cover your head with your hand. Right? The Gemara tells us that you can't cover your body with your body. But say that we're not going to talk today. Halacha nafkamina is maybe we'll talk about that maybe tomorrow. But the first thing is to cover your head with your hand. According to the Marashal, it's a midas chasidus. Midas chasidus to cover your head. It's enough. But according to the Taz, if we're dealing with a lav minatayah, we're dealing with a real serious Indian of following the Goyim, then putting your hand over your head, is just not enough. You have to put something there, apart from your hand. That's, uh, that would be nafkamina number one. Another nafkamina would be, right, the Malba mentions this, what about wearing a toupee? What about a person, for example, Rachmanasan doesn't have any hair, or Rachmanasan, he goes through a situation where he doesn't have hair, unfortunately. So what would be the din of wearing a wig, a male wig, a toupee, on your head? According to the Taz, so the Maisa, we're dealing with the Daraisa, and if we're dealing with the Daraisa, if somebody sees you wearing a wig, they don't know you're wearing a yarmulke, according to Taz, there's a lot of Daraisa, you have to wear a yarmulke on top of the toupee. The tape toupee wouldn't be enough to cover your head. But according to the Marshal, where you're dealing with the shadow of, 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 of uh, Midas Chasidus, no, so for Midas Chasidus, then a wig will be enough. Another example, by the way, which is a famous one, what about for the Tzoyuch Panosa? Let's say, for example, I'm going to a place, I'm going to a business meeting, or I'm going to a place full of goyim, where they don't appreciate yarmulkes, they don't understand them, whatever it is. And there are people like that. I remember being myself, I was in Toronto, it was before I got married, I was in Toronto, and um, I think it was in the CN Tower, right? It's in Toronto, right? The CN Tower. And there was a goyish, I think it was a Chinese woman, whatever. She, what is that? Like, can you explain to me how does, how does, like, how does, what is that on your head? I didn't understand this. Like, seriously, how many years ago are we dealing with over here that a woman didn't see what a yarmulke is? But you go to a place where people get embarrassed, can you take off your yarmulke? So again, if you're dealing with the Midas Hasidas, no, maybe we can get away with it. But if we're dealing with the Taz, where it's a shine of a love and a Torah, so I don't care whether or not you'll get Parnassah or won't get Parnassah. You have no hatter to take off your yarmulke because someone's going to give you a job interview or they're going to accept you to the job because of that. Okay? So these are the Shilas that generally will come up. And the Shilas, what do we do with those things? Now, Lemaisa, there's a lot for us to deal with. And I've got a Gavald Gemaisa to tell you about that. But before I do that, I want to tell you, I want to maybe finish for today, just to give you this is an incredible story about what Gedolim and Sadiqim used to go through 
for their yarmulke. Okay, just want to, I just want to end today with just the most incredible story about how tzaddikim, the stories of tzaddikim that they were not, you know, they were in hospital, in bed, and they, 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 they were constantly looking at their yarmulke, making sure it was on. You find tzaddikim that it means so much to them because they understand what's at stake. They understand that Gemara tells us it's Yerushalayim. They want to make sure to have that Yerushalayim. Let me tell you this, Merdikamaisa. It's a famous story. This is a famous story. Everybody here knows it, but I'm going to say it again just because we need to talk about it in such a topic. There were two brothers, Reb Shmuel Abba and Reb Pinchas Shapira. Right? Two Gavaldiga brothers. These were grandchildren of the Heiliger Reb Pinchas Mikoritz. These were his two grandchildren. The Heiliger Reb Pinchas Mikoritz had two grandchildren, many grandchildren. But these two, Reb Shmuel Abba and Reb Pinchas Shapira, tremendous tzaddikim. How did they get Parnassah? What did they do to make a living? They used to have a printing press in Ukraine. That was the printing press that they used in order to make a panasa. The story begins on the 18th of Sivan, 1834, 5594, when the dead body of Lazar Prodrigin was found hanging from the rafters of the Talis Besimedrish in Slavutia. Okay, so his dead body was found, dead body of Lazar Prodrigin, and there were no signs of anything going on. There was no, you know, basically it was nobody killed him, nobody hurt him, nobody did it to him. He had obviously, he was obviously, he was found drunk many, many nights. He was obviously killed himself. He had taken his own life. However, there was a Jew hating priest who lived nearby, and he decided to fabricate the story. That the two Shapiro brothers had obviously been responsible for the death of this laser. So the priest claimed that the Shapiro brothers had discovered that this laser was planning to report them to the government for printing Sforim without permission from the government censorship, which in Russia was a big crime to print Sforim without permission. And they, the Shapiro brothers, who had a printing press, had found information that this laser was going to report them to the government, which was a, a, a crime punishable by death, and therefore they killed him to make sure that the government would never find out about their crime. Now, the Shapiro brothers at the time were in their 50s. They were arrested and they were locked up in a cell with a small, tiny hole with a bit of light and air coming through their cell. That was the only light that they saw, the only air that they got. They remained in the prison for three whole years awaiting their verdict. During the time, they completed shas every single year in that place and they were happy and they were besimcha and it was, it, was, it was an amazing thing that people heard about. In 1837, the sentence was pronounced. What was the sentence? The sentence was 1,500 blows by 500 Russian soldiers with the back of their metal gun. That was their sentence. 1,500, 1,500 blows by 500 Russian soldiers. Now, if they survived that, then they would exile to Siberia for the remainder of their exciting life. That was the sentence at the time. So the Shapiro brothers accepted the Xera uh, with tremendous Ava, tremendous Betochen and Emunah and Hashem. And as they were brought to the public whipping, they sang a song which apparently is known, Ad Hayoyim Azed, a song that they sang on the way to being beaten by 500 Russian big soldiers by the back of their metal knife. So there was two lines, okay? Two lines, 250 soldiers on that side, 250 soldiers on the other side. And they were ready with the back of their gun. The two brothers would have to pass between them, handcuffed. 
That means their hands were tied behind their back, handcuffed. There was no way of them able to move their hands. And they would go one way, and then they would go the other way, and then they would go one more time. And they say they would get 1,500 blows by the 500 soldiers. And that's what happened. They started to pass between them, and the Russians were big, real, serious heavy lift-the-weight guys with the back of the gun started beating them as they went. An unbelievable thing. It's brought down that there were malachim that came down in order to absorb many of the blows because otherwise it would have weakened them in a way that there's no way they would have managed to get through even one row of this beating. Now what happened at one point during the, the situation was the Yamaka of one of the brothers, it's unclear in the story exactly which brother it was, it doesn't really make a difference, fell off of his head as he was going past the rose. Now he couldn't bend down to pick it up, his hands were tied, he couldn't pick it up in any way, but he refused to continue walking because his yarmulke was off. And because he refused, he was able to you know, stand there, and because of that he was able to get many, many more beatings by the soldiers over there, Finally, the guard in charge of the brothers placed the yarmulke back on the brother's head. He said, this is ridiculous. He's going to stand there until he dies. So he put the yarmulke back on his head and he abled himself to continue walking. After the horrifying ordeal, the brothers collapsed. They were brought to Moscow Hospital. They remained in Moscow for the next 17 years with the help of a tremendous amount of bribes because the doctors said they would never be able to survive the trip to Siberia. After 20 years of gollus of exile and pain and imprisonment, the Shapiro brothers were finally able and granted permission to go back home and they were welcomed with tremendous joy. Now, again, a tremendous story. But the point of the story isn't all the detail. The point is one thing. This is what Sadiqim understood that the yarmulke represents. I will not walk more than I need to without a yarmulke. It represents tremendous here Shemayim. And it's an amazing, amazing opportunity. We're going to say tomorrow, we're going to try to go through some of the actual halachas that are nageya, halacha lemaisa to wearing the yarmulke, how big, what color, what material, all sorts of shyness. And we'll end up with a gavaldiga story tomorrow. Have a wonderful day.